Hey Coastal, my name is Gene Cornett. I am the lead campus pastor here at Bethany Place in Richmond. For more than a year, I've been praying and seeking God about his direction for us here at Bethany Place relative to a relationship with Coastal. And I'm encouraged about several aspects of that. I've been moved by the joy and the humility I sense in your leaders. I'm hopeful about the intentional training for our leaders. I'm encouraged by the clear and direct paths I see for volunteer engagement for our members here. I'm excited to be a part of a clear strategy to connect, grow, serve, and multiply. And I'm encouraged about just relational partners for us here at Bethany Place. So for all of these reasons, we're excited about the future and we look forward to partnering with you for the sake of the gospel here in Richmond. I want to invite you to grab a Bible and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, week two of our series. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 32 this morning. And as you're turning there, I wanted to just take a moment to praise God for his grace in the life of our church. Coastal Bethany Place, or Coastal Richmond, is officially our newest campus. Can we praise God for his grace? We are, I am, really excited about this opportunity to partner with uh, a really already established church in the Richmond area. Uh, a couple things I want to make you aware of. So we're in the process now of finalizing this adoption with Coastal Bethany Place. We're ready to put it before you as a congregation just to share and ask for prayer and praise. We praise God in how he's moving. A couple things I want to make you aware of. So Coastal Bethany Place is debt-free. We're not taking on any debt as a church. They have a brand newly renovated facility. We just got a snapshot of what their facility looks like. Um, they have the resources to help us with finalizing the adoption process. And then on a personal note, I've gotten the chance to know Pastor Gene, the brother you just saw in that video, pretty well over the last year. And he is a faithful man of God. He's godly and kind, gifted expositor of the scriptures. And he's realized that we're better together. He's known Pastor Sean Brown our senior pastor, for over 20 years and has come to the conclusion that we as a church are better together. So I'm grateful for a chance to partner with Coastal Richmond, Coastal Bethany Place, and looking forward to seeing how God moves in that congregation in the days ahead. If you have any questions about Coastal Richmond, come talk to me, but I wanted to put it before you today just to say praise God for how he's moving. We have a gospel outpost in Richmond. All right, here's what I want to do. Before we dive into Psalm 119, I want to pray and ask that God would prepare our hearts for the preaching of the word. Let me, let me do that right now. Father, we come before you hungry, Lord. We want to hear the word of God. There is a culture out there that is screaming lies all the time. God, we don't know what's up and what's down, what's left or what's right, Lord. But your word, as we've talked about even last week, is a steadfast, objective source of truth. You tell us that your word is truth. And so, God, I pray now that for the next few minutes, as we unpack the riches of Psalm 119, that you would minister to our hearts. I pray, as always, that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Amen. All right, so 119. This week, church, we have a really big chunk of scripture, verses 9 through 32 to cover. Instead of walking verse by verse through this text, which is what we usually do, we're going to look this morning at one big idea that we see in Psalm 119. I titled our sermon, The Miracle of Sanctification. And here's why. In Psalm 119, and specifically in our text today, we're going to see a pattern of God's design for sanctification, which really just means our growing in holiness. Now, to establish and really structure our time, we need to hit some quick foundational theology right off the bat. And so I hope you had your coffee. We're going to do a quick Theology 101 lesson. The New Testament describes salvation in the life of a believer as a three-step process. The first step in that process is one that we're very familiar with. It's called justification. Justification is the initial step in the salvation process. It happens the moment when we put our faith in Jesus and are justified. When we are saved, we put our faith in Christ and are declared righteous. That's the moment we're saved once and for all is justification. It's a legal term. We are justified. Ephesians 2 says we are saved by grace through faith after we put our faith in Jesus. If you are here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, this is the step for you today. You can be justified. You can have your sin forgiven once and for all, by repenting of your sin, believing in the message of the gospel that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sin, and that he bodily rose from the dead. If you repent of your sin, believe in that message, you can receive Christ and receive justification. When we are justified, we are freed once and for all from the penalty of our sin. That means that hell has no hold over us. There's no more condemnation for us. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Step number one. Step number two is called sanctification. And that'll be our focus today. Sanctification is the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. It's the process we're living out right now of growing in holiness and righteousness. In sanctification, God plays a role and we play a role. Justification is God for us. Sanctification, church, is God through us. It's when we're being saved, present tense, from the power of our sin. In justification, God dealt with the penalty of our sin. In sanctification, God is dealing with the power of our sin. If you're a a Christian in the room this morning, sanctification, step two, is where you are today. Then the last step, number three, is glorification. And we, I think, know this one too. Glorification happens the day when our faith is once and for all made sight. When we get to be with Jesus forever and we reign with Jesus with redeemed and glorified bodies, enjoying God and being once and for all saved from the presence of sin. And just like justification, glorification is all God. God is the one who ensures that he who is justified will one day be glorified. Romans 8 verse 30, those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is an unbreakable chain. If God saved you, he will one day finally save you. So three tenses of salvation. We were saved from the penalty of our sin through justification. 
We are being saved from the power of our sin through sanctification, and one day we will finally be saved from the presence of our sin through glorification. Now, why the theology lesson? I'm convinced that most Christians have a pretty good understanding of step number one. I'd say most of us in this room know that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are once and for all saved from the penalty of our sin. And I would even say that most Christians are familiar with step number three. We're familiar with glorification. Even if we didn't know that word, we knew that there's a day coming when our faith will be made sight, when we'll get to be with Jesus forever. But in my experience, I've seen that there are a lot of Christians out there that haven't really thought through step number two, the process of sanctification. And that's where we are right now. And that can be a problem because when we don't have a right understanding, Coastal, of sanctification, which is the only step of this process that we have a real role in, we can end up discouraged, disheartened, and legitimately frustrated in our walks with God. For example, there was a college student a few years ago who was struggling with a particular habitual sin, just couldn't seem to shake the same sin, coming back over and over again. And one night, this college student went to a worship night sponsored by an on-campus ministry, one of those late-night deals. It was like 9 to midnight. And at this worship night, dark lights or dark room, bright lights, fog machines, emotional key changes, it was this incredible experience where this college student sang songs, powerful songs about breakthrough, about miracles, about walls crumbling down, about chains being broken, addictions crumbling. And it was an, a moment of euphoria for that college student as he sang about how God had given him breakthrough over this one particular sin. And so he went home that night convinced that God had done it, that God in his grace had just taken away that sin because he sang and claimed breakthrough over it. Now, I want us to hear this. God can and does work miracles. God can bring about breakthrough over particular sin. God can tear down walls. God can instantly cure addiction. And when these chain-breaking types of miracles occur, what we do as Christians is we praise him for it. But here's what can happen. I was that kid in college, and that night, and the days to come when that sin reared its head again, I became discouraged because I didn't feel the miracle. I didn't feel the breakthrough. I sang about a chain-breaking God, and yet it seemed like my chain still had a hold over me. Why was I discouraged? Because I had no concept of step number two. I had no concept of my role in sanctification. So, church, hear my heart in this. I'm guessing that in a gathering of this size, there are some of you right now that were like me, that you know that God can work miracles. You know that God can break the power, break the chains of sin, but here you sit and it feels like it's not working. The same sin, the same temptation keeps cropping up and you want the miracle. You want that walls crumbling down moment, but it hasn't happened. And so this morning, what I want to do is straight from God's word, give us a biblical picture of how it happens. Give us the, really the normative pattern that we see in the New Testament 
of how we grow as Christians, how we defeat our sin as Christians, how the miracle happens, the mystery of how it happens, the normal, lifelong, bumpy, up and down, faithful process by which God works, we work, and God works through us to conform us into the image of Christ. And so we're gonna look at God's role and our role this morning. So let's dive in. Psalm 119, verses nine through 11 is where we'll start. This is the word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. All right, number one in your notes, church. Our role in sanctification is to do what verse 10 exhorts us to do. We seek him with our whole heart. We seek him with our whole heart. Now, I know that this is a pretty general exhortation, and I'm going to get practical and specific in a minute, but I want to start here. If we as Christians aren't committed to actually seeking God with our whole hearts, with everything that we have, then we can't actually expect to grow in our sanctification. We see this all throughout the Gospels. When someone would come up to Jesus looking to follow him, but they weren't truly committed, Jesus would always make it clear there's no such thing as half-hearted followership in the kingdom of God. You're either all in or you're all out. This was the case with the, the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. It was the case with the guy who wanted to go and bury his father before following Jesus in Matthew 8. They were both holding something back before coming to Jesus. They had a just-in-case. And because they had a just-in-case, they weren't yet ready to follow Jesus or grow in Christ. Let me put it another way. A couple years ago, when Amy and I were in college, Amy's older sister got married. And we had been dating for about four years at the time. So I was a long-term, pretty committed boyfriend at that point. We were planning on getting married in the next year or so, getting engaged in the next year or so. Um, and the wedding was beautiful. And I was graciously invited after the wedding to step in with the family for family pictures. As the boyfriend, you guys know this, that's a pretty big deal. And so we take these pictures and I smile again as the boyfriend, kind of half in, half out, not a real member of the family. And then here's what happens. The photographer, really, really subtle, pulls one of these. Okay, mom and dad step out for this next one and Colin step out for this next one and then mom and dad step back in. And I'm over there by myself, smiling, got my suit on, thinking, wait a second, they want a picture without me in it, just in case. Like, I know we've been together for four years, but they don't want their wedding pictures that are gonna last forever ruined by some guy that Amy dated for four years in college. And listen, I can share that story because I deeply love and deeply respect my in-laws and praise God, there wasn't a just in case, it did work out. But here's the thing, church, half-hearted commitment is no commitment. I wasn't quite yet a member of the family. And in the same way, we can't have a just-in-case in our walk with God. Verse 10 makes it clear. We seek him, church, with our whole hearts, not 99% of our hearts. That means this morning that if you're saying to God, God, you can have everything I have, but don't touch my money, then you don't really want God with your whole heart. If you're saying to God, God, you can have everything I have, but please don't touch my sex life, 
then you don't really want God. And so in this sanctification process, church, in this battle and this wrestle with sin, we have to start here. If we're asking for a miraculous breakthrough, if we want the chains falling off kind of moment, but we are deliberately holding something back from the Lord, not surrendering everything we have, then I can promise you that moment will not happen until we let it go. And so church, let it go. Christian in the room this morning, if your head hits the pillow at night and you know there's something you have not yet surrendered to God, make that move. Because asking for a breakthrough while holding it on is a futile exercise. Now, for many of us, we've reached that point. We said, okay, Lord, everything means everything. You can have it all. If that's us, then I want to give us three steps to our role in sanctification. These are not exhaustive. There are others, but these are three we see in Psalm 119. Letter A. We are sanctified by seeking his face in prayer. We are sanctified by seeking his face in prayer. Look at verse 10 again. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. The psalmist here is showing us in one verse the immediate next step after seeking God with his whole heart. It's prayer. Let me not wander from your commandments is a prayer. It's a prayer of dependence and desperation. It's God, here I am seeking you with everything I have. Now help me to seek you. Here's what I want us to see, Christians. Prayer is such an integral part of our Christian lives. It's a tool that God gives us in our sanctification. Now, I know most of us know this. We know prayer is important, but here's the thing. Statistically, Christians don't spend that much time in prayer. And so here's what I want to do this morning. We know why prayer is important. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that today. That's a sermon and maybe even a sermon series for another day. All I want to do right now is give you a tool. I want to make this morning really practical. I think one of the reasons why Christians don't spend a ton of time praying is that they've never been equipped with some effective strategies on how to actually pray. And so in all humility, what I want to do is lay before you a strategy that someone shared with me a few years ago that has been enormously helpful in strengthening and bolstering my prayer life. This strategy is called concentric circles of prayer. Caleb, I think we have a slide for it. Go ahead and show that, brothers. You guys know what concentric circles are? I think we have one. Imagine one little circle surrounded by bigger circles. And if you know what I'm talking about, picture like a a target or a bullseye. You can doodle that in your bulletin while I'm talking if that'll help you uh, remember. But here's what I do with concentric circles of prayer. You and I are the inner circle. The first circle, this is what I do in my prayer time with the Lord. I know that before I do anything else, God has to have my heart. And so I'll spend time as I sit down with the Bible open, looking for extended time in prayer, confessing my own sin and asking God to meet needs in my own heart. I'll spend time praising God for what he's doing in my life, for thanking God for what he's doing in my life. And this is probably the easiest step, Christian, because you know what you need in your walk with Jesus better than anyone else. And so in this structure, you start there. You can't have something to give for other people unless you first fill up yourself. And so that's what my time starts with. It's God help me. Now, the next ring around the circle, the one immediately following the center one, is my immediate nuclear family. And so for you, maybe it's your roommate. Maybe it's your spouse or your kids. For me, it's Amy and my three kids. And so the next thing I do after praying for myself is praying for my family. I ask God to bless and strengthen my marriage. 
I pray for my wife. I ask God to save and have mercy on my kids, for God to protect them spiritually, physically, emotionally. The next ring around the circle, I'm going outwards, is you pray for the closest people in your life outside of that inner circle. You pray for your small group, and this church is why you should get in a small group. You want to know people in this room. You want to know what they need. And so I'll spend time praying for people in my small group or my closest friends that God would bless their marriages, that God would help their needs, that God would minister to them exactly how they need it. And then that next circle, track with me, and we're going out, is our church. I pray for our church every day. Pray for our church every day. I want us together to grow in holiness and righteousness. I want to be a people that fear God and fear our own ability to sin that love righteousness, that love Jesus. I pray for us throughout the week that as we're scattered all around Williamsburg, James City County and York County at our jobs, our workplaces, our schools, our classrooms, our neighborhoods, that we would be lights for Christ, that we would be a city on a hill. And so I pray for you. I know your needs. I want to know more of them as your pastor. I'll pray through the list that I get on Connect Cards. I'll pray through individual faces and names. I stand out there on as after we finish on Sundays so that you can tell me, hey, Colin, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need this week. I spent time praying for you. And then finally, that last ring of the circle is our world is our world. And so I'll spend time praying for, maybe we have missionaries overseas. So I'll spend time praying for God to bring about peace in the Middle East and in Ukraine. I'll pray as 1 Timothy 2 exhorts us to do for our government leaders, that God would give them wisdom. Again, is this a perfect method? No, but it is a method. And before I learned this, my prayer time was short and unstructured. Again, church, prayer is one of the means of grace that God gives us Something that we can do, we can work out in our sanctification. That's letter A. We seek his face in prayer. Letter B. We participate in our sanctification by storing up his word in our hearts. We participate in our sanctification by storing up his word in our hearts. Look at verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so first we pray. Now here in verse 11, we see the discipline of scripture intake or more specifically scripture memory. Now I love this verse because it provides us with a cause and an effect. The psalmist is storing up God's word in his heart, taking time to memorize and meditate over the word so that, underline that in your Bibles, he might not sin against God. He's not memorizing scripture because it's fun or because he wants to earn Awana badges. Those are good things, but the reason he's storing up scripture is because he wants to wage war with his sin. And so he memorizes specific scripture to combat specific temptation. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by Satan. The first temptation comes in verse 3. Satan tries to get Jesus to turn stones into bread. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He's probably pretty hungry at this point. And Jesus answers him. He quotes Deuteronomy. He says this in Matthew 4.4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, here's what's fascinating about this response. In the Greek New Testament, there are two different words 
that are used for the word, the word of God. The first and most common, you probably heard this before, is logos, which refers to the general, overall, authoritative word of God. The second, less common, is the word rhema, which refers to a specific word, a more pointed one. Think about it like a filing cabinet. Logos is the whole filing cabinet of the word of God. Rhema is a specific file. In Matthew 4, Jesus uses rhema, a specific word, to respond to a specific temptation from the enemy. Now, here's what this shows us Christians. As followers of Christ, all kinds of scripture memory is helpful for us. It's good and profitable. But in our sanctification, what's even more helpful is memorizing scripture that directly relates to what we're dealing with. Imagine you are constantly losing it on your kids. For some of you, you don't have to imagine very hard. If that's you, then think about it. In the moment when the anger's rising up, John 3.16 is helpful. God did love the world. He gave his one and only son. But you know what's more helpful? Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A specific word for a specific situation. So Think about what you might be dealing with. If you're struggling with lust this morning, then the Bible has a word for you. If you're wrestling with contentment, the Bible has a word for you. If it's pride, laziness, scripture addresses it all. We saw last week that the Bible is completely sufficient for both life and doctrine. This means, church, that whatever we're going through, whatever temptation we might face, there is a word for us. So here's the question. Are we willing to put in the work of storing up his word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him? Psalm 119.11 gives us a time-tested, biblical, proven, effective strategy in our battle against sin, but it takes work. It's a discipline, something that we do in our role in this sanctification process. I want us to see one more, one more aspect of our role from this text. Again, there are others, but this is one more tool from Psalm 119. Let us see. We partner with God in sanctification by setting his rules before us. By setting his rules before us. Look down in your Bibles at verses 29 and 30. Put false ways far from me. Graciously teach me your I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Rule for me. Psalmist fall himself the faithfulness away from us. It's one thing to fight sin, to turn aside from temptation. And prayer and scripture memory help us do that. They're tools from God. But here's what I love this passage. The model seeing here, one that just puts ways away, leaving in this empty, neutral state. No replaces false ways with faithful ways. Replacing the things of God or things of the world with the things of God. I'm going to say something here that might seem a little bit crazy at first, so bear with me. The end goal of sanctification is not to get really good at fighting sin. Rather, the end goal of sanctification 
is to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ, growing in our love for Christ, our knowledge of Christ, our delight, our enjoyment, our worship of Christ. Now, we do this practically with the help of prayer and scripture memory and valuable tools that do help us get better at fighting sin. But as Christians, our identity is not as people who are sin fighters. It's as people who are Christ followers. Christ is our focus, church. He must be our focus, not beating sin. Think about it. If you walked around all day thinking about how not to commit one particular sin, then at the end of the day, what would you be thinking about? You'd be thinking about not committing that sin. It's the pink elephant strategy. If I told you not to think about pink elephants, all we would do is think about pink elephants. In our role in sanctification, instead of putting all of our energy and our focus on defeating sin, we throw all of our focus and our energy on treasuring and marveling at Christ. And then guess what happens? We sin less. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 illustrates this so well. Paul says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, hear me. We make no provision for the flesh. We do fight sin. We watch it in ourselves and we fight it in each other. It'd be foolish not to. But above all, church, we put on Jesus. The best defense against sin is a heart that is totally captivated by Christ. False ways behind us Christ before us and seeking him in his word and in prayer are ways that we can set his rules and his ways before us. I'm gonna go here just for a second. I have seen this principle most practically applied in the battle against pornography. Pornography is an epidemic in our country and statistically an epidemic in our church. And I've met with more young people than I can count who are waiting for that miracle, that breakthrough, that chains crumbling moment in their battle against pornography. And I've seen a common theme in these counseling sessions. A lot of men and women have really good, really right accountability in place, which again is wise. Romans exhorts us, make no provision for the flesh. And so we want the covenant eyes. We want the accountability partners. We want internet off our smartphones. But here's what can happen when we are so uber-focused on defeating one particular sin. It ends up being all we think about, all we talk about. That battle consumes us. And then ever so slightly, our focus shifts off of Christ and onto the sin that we're so desperately trying to beat. And so my counsel, and I've seen this, this has been helpful in my life, church. In our battle against any particular sin, it's not don't sin, It's run to Jesus. I think that's the model we're seeing here in Psalm 119. We set his rules, his ways, his son before us. This is us seeking God with our whole hearts. These are three aspects of our role in the sanctification process. Now, for the remainder of our time, I want to look at God's role because here's where the mystery comes in, the tension We work, but God is also working, working through us. And I want us to see that this is a mystery, church, not to be solved, but rather to be embraced. We see it all over the New Testament. Let me give you three rapid-fire examples. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul says, "'Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling.'" 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so what's the command for us? It's work out your salvation. This is the present battling sanctification. We are being saved. We are to work it out so with fear and trembling. But who's the one that's ultimately doing the work? Philippians 2 makes it clear. God who works in us for his good will and for his good pleasure. Colossians 1.20 For this oil, struggling with all energy that he powered in me. You see here, Paul is toiling, struggling, grinding, working, but who's supplying the energy? It's God who's powerfully working within him. One more, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul's saying here, our role is to do the work, to engage in the spiritual disciplines while God supplies the power behind the work. I hope we're seeing this, church. In the process of sanctification, we work we labor, we toil, and we strive. The Christian life is a discipline-filled life, not an apathetic one. But when we work, God works in us through the power of his Holy Spirit to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. We actually sang about this this morning, church, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It's a beautiful, incredible song that reminds us of this truth. John Piper called this acting the miracle. When we work and God works in us, and while we sometimes want that instant chains-breaking, walls-crumbling-down moment, we want that miracle. We have to see that this New Testament process is also a miracle. This is the miracle of sanctification, church. We seek him with our whole heart. And number two in your notes, God sustains us by his power. We work, God works through us, sustaining us <laughs> by his power. And Psalm 119 gives us three specific ways that he does this. Letter A, I'm gonna hit these quick. He gives us understanding. He gives us understanding. I pray this every Sunday. Maybe some of y'all are catching on. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Listen, church, the reason why we can see and treasure the Bible, the reason why we see Christ as not some historical figure, but as glorious and majestic Lord, is because God has opened our eyes and given us understanding. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about how there is a veil, literally blinding the eyes of unbelievers, people who haven't turned to Christ. But when one turns to the Lord, the Bible says that the veil is removed. And so if you're a Christian in the room this morning, this is your story. That's what happened to you. God, in his grace, by his mercy, justified you and removed the veil allowing you to see the glory of the Bible and the beauty and the glory of the gospel. God gives us understanding. Letter B, he helps us to delight. He gives us understanding and he helps us 
to delight. God doesn't just help us to see and understand his word rightly. He helps us to delight in his word rightly, to take joy in his word, to rejoice in it. Psalm 119 verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. This is a a supernatural delight. This isn't something that we can conjure up or manufacture ourselves. God causes his people to delight in his word and he causes his people to delight in his ways. Anyone can read the Bible. Atheists can read the Bible. Satan can read the Bible and know it better than we can. But the enemy can't delight in the Bible. We can because God is working in our sanctification. Finally, letter C, he enlarges our hearts. He enlarges our hearts. Verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Let's see this, church. God helps us understand his word, causes us to delight in his word, and then finally he enlarges our hearts so that we can obey his word. We work, God works through us. I want to invite the band back up. We'll close with this. A couple weeks ago, (coughs) oh, excuse me, that was loud. A couple weeks ago, um, got your attention, that's great. Um, I took Piper in the backyard. She's our five-year-old. I wanted to do an outdoor project with her um, and spend time with her. And I wanted this perfect dad teaching moment. You'll see in a second, I'm a a super fun dad. Um, So I got some wildflower seeds off of the internet, Virginia wildflower seeds, and I was going to plant them in the backyard, but I thought, I'm going to bring Piper with me, and it's going to be slower, it's not going to look as good, it's going to take twice the amount of time, but it's going to be some sweet dad-daughter time. So in the backyard, we go out together, it takes us about an hour and a half, we rake up all the leaves that are in this particular plot of land, and I want to put the flowers in our backyard, uh, we, we till up the ground, um, I clearly don't till stuff a lot. <laughs> I did it that time. We tilled up the ground. We laid down the seeds. I scatter some. I go behind Piper to catch the spots that she's missing. We we put some soil over the seeds that we had just planted, and we water it together. We water it together. It took about an hour and a half. Now, I wanted one question. I wanted one moment with her, and I got it as we were finishing watering. We were looking at this dirt patch, and she asked me, okay, Dad, how do we make them grow? And that's what I wanted. I'm such a fun dad. I looked at her and I said, buddy, we don't make them grow. God makes them grow. And we plant and we water, we cover over, but ultimately God brings growth. Listen, we plant and we water as Christians and we do it in ways that we talked about this morning. We want to be diligent, to read his word, to seek his face in prayer, to put Jesus before us, our sin behind us. It's really, really important. That's how we do number one. It's how we seek him with our whole heart. But if God doesn't bring the growth, then our work isn't gonna result in anything. But here's the thing, slowly but surely, after we plant and water, after we bury the seeds, After we do the things that the Bible tells us to do, we see slowly but surely in his perfect timing that God starts to bring growth. If you've been walking with Jesus for long enough, you've seen this. You spend enough time seeking his face in prayer and suddenly prayer becomes all the more precious to you. 
you spend enough time disciplining yourself to read the word and all of a sudden you find that you delight in the word. You marvel enough at Christ and all of a sudden your sin looks less pleasurable and God's ways look more pleasurable. But here's the thing, church, this isn't some overnight process. God sometimes gives us the miracle, sometimes gives us the breakthrough, and when he does, we praise him. But the normal, everyday life of a Christian, which is all of us in here, we're just engaged in this long-term, slow, steady, faithful, up-and-down growth. It's not even always exciting. We planted flowers two weeks ago. Now we have like an inch of shoots in our backyard and brought Piper out to see the flowers that we planted. She looks at these little inch long shoots and she's bored with them because she wants the flowers right now. We want the flowers right now, but church, that's not how God works. And so wherever you are this morning, wherever you are in this sanctification process, here's my encouragement to you. God will finish it. God will finish it. Philippians 1 chapter, Philippians 1 verse 6. I'll I'll leave us with this. For I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Right now, if you are in it, by the grace of God, finish it. And right now, if you're in one of those seasons, you're not. You're feeling weak and tired. Know this, that promise applies to you. God will finish it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. I'm gonna stand and I'll pray for us. And we'll go out singing this morning. Father, I thank you for our church. It's just really good to be together on Sunday mornings, Lord. It is really turned into my favorite time of the week to come together with these brothers and sisters uh, for sweet time in worship, for time where we get to open up the scriptures together and see what you have to say. God, I thank you for your plan, your process of sanctification. I thank you that you sprinkle in the crazy type of miracles that we do see. I thank you that you sprinkle in the breakthrough. God, I know in a room this size, there are those of us who would say, yep, there was a moment when God broke those chains and praise God for them. Praise God for those moments. Thank you. You are a miracle working God. And God, I pray for the rest of us who are waiting on that breakthrough, waiting on that miracle. I pray that they would be encouraged that your process of we work and you work in us is a miracle that it's a miracle, a supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered miracle, God, where you carry us until that day where we are glorified. Sanctified right now, there's a day coming when we'll be glorified when you promise in your word to finish the work that you began. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless this group of people this week. Help them in their walk with sanctification this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.